it's tough to get 10,000 hours of practice podcasting because that's like, you know, even at an hour and a half long episode, that's, you know, 7,000 episodes. That's too many. I don't think the longest running podcast even has that many episodes. So no one's a professional podcaster. Really. Yeah, every podcaster is an amateur. Fortunately, that 10,000 hours thing is completely made up and has no basis in science or like any sort of research. So, I mean, but as long as we can state it confidently, we can pretend it's true. That's the Malcolm Gladwell <laughs> proposition. That's why I can confidently say I'm an expert in podcasting. I have 10,000 hours in saying something confidently that isn't true. <laughs> <laughs> That's how our audience knows they can trust you. Yeah. Um, the, the best field corresponder is one that can <laughs> bullshit with a straight face. I will say the only thing I really want to talk about today is Reed Duke's tweet. Oh, my God. Just wait. Just like the first time he's ever talked trash in his entire <laughs> like professional magic career. The force of all of the like held back confidence. Like. <laughs> All in one blast that just like laid waste to every other magic player in the world. It's truly astounding for a, a reply to a tweet about Magic the Gathering to get over 250 retweets is just. <laughs> no, it was perfect, though. Probably the best magic tweet I've ever seen. Oh, easily. Yeah, this, this is very good. I really like the Tron mulliganing one from I think it was David Reed a while back. You know what Tron tweet I was thinking about recently was the uh, the official Wizards account tweeting why are Tron players the way that they are and the <laughs> and then <laughs> absurd backlash that <laughs> that it was discrimination. Everybody want want to be oppressed so bad. Yeah. Oh yeah, I do remember this tweet. Yeah, the mulligans be like <laughs> on six aggressively mulliganing. I like it on five bad second hand two. That's rough. Yikes on four. That sucks. I'm sorry. To three. As <laughs> <laughs> when that when that was posted in 2019, I just really connected with it because <laughs> I played against John so much. <laughs> that was not long after Tron won the Pro Tour, right? I don't remember. Maybe. That was the No, it definitely was. I said that as a question, but yeah, he won the uh <laughs> he won Pro Tour Hogak. That was that the same tournament? Uh, maybe it was a Grand Prix. I think it was Simon Nielsen just did Hogak with like 10 one ofs, the flex slots. Whatever happened it, it to that Hogak matter. deck? I don't know, it just kind of disappeared. It got power creeped by Ragavan. Oh People yeah. Stop playing it all at once. It's like you're not even clicking the poll options that say Ragavan. <laughs> everyone welcome to episode 281 of the mtg grindcast the spikiest podcast in all of central north carolina we are your hosts i'm chris castor apple with me is lee mcleod hey lee hi chris and we are joined by our war correspondent foreign press associate jesse robkin here to talk to us about the pro tour results and and give some deep dive analysis hey jesse the pro tour is back baby i watched the whole thing this weekend that's just a really nice way to spend a week. i mean i did play an rcq and lose in my semifinals of a two slot rcq so i should have just watched the pro tour for that whole sunday instead but yo same i did the exact same thing on sunday brutal wow 
I didn't attend that one. <laughs> I just stayed at home. Oh, wait, I like, did mine on, on Saturday, so we missed different parts of the pro tour. But I, uh, okay. I did get to watch the whole top Sorry, eight. Sorry, I, I watched the I watched Sunday. Sorry, Sunday is the one I watched. I That's watched good. that glorious, glorious finals. That left me very sad. <laughs> that left you very sad? You wanted Celeste? I was cheering. So I was cheering for the underdog, but also, like, the gameplay was terrible. Oh. For the finals. There's just so much mulligan. Yeah, there was a lot of mulliganing. Like, but... I get that it's boggles, right? But yeah, still. What about? Did you catch the uh, catch the Lamau spoken on camera? Oh, the the no no word. I did. Yeah. Well, yeah, that as well. But also, uh, Benton. Oh, there's a literal Lamau. He literally mm-hmm. said the so Reed like removed his light pause or something, and he said out loud Lamau. Okay, pass the turn or something like that. <laughs> I did not hear that, but that is hilarious. I mean, with the number of words that were coming out of Benton's mouth over the course of that match, you know, there was going to be some nonsense at some point. You just got to, like, talk your worries into submission sometimes. I mean, Reed's a tough opponent. You got to bring every tool you've got to the table. I don't think he was particularly phased by... Oh, uh, no. I I think Reed can kind of tank through that. If my opponent is mumbling, or not mumbling, just, like, talking incoherently, continuously, I'm, like, pretty happy, I think. (laughs) Slightly annoyed, but usually pretty happy. Reads one weakness, spoken aloud internet speak. (laughs) (laughs) Oh no, he found it right at the very end at a crucial moment. Sorry, we derailed. I don't even know what we're doing anymore. Uh, We got to talk about the Pro Tour. I have a bunch of like points to hit on here. Congratulations to Reed for finally getting that first place after being there many many times it was cool that he flipped the script on the worlds he was in the finals of Mm -hmm. where he lost uh after being up to that was nice yeah huge huge congrats very very exciting it's it's easy to be like oh man the old guard came in and and won after all this hype around like the newer players then you're like oh also reed hasn't won a pro tour before so like that in that sense is very very exciting as well yeah, for sure. But yeah, I mean, we also got to see the like this top eight was obscene, incredible. Reed and Shota and Nasif as just like the, I, I mean, I guess I want to say like old guard of the old guard, but Reed is like the second old guard, and Shota and Nasif are you know, I I love the top eight picture. I don't know if y'all saw this where it's like yeah. all of them, all seven of the non-Shota top eight standing in their like t-shirts and jerseys and looking like kind of, you know, like magic players. And then Shota's just a little bit off to the side in like a scarf and this like perfectly tailored car coat with like no visible buttons, just looking <laughs> like like incredibly smooth and incredibly adult next to these just absolute children <laughs> next to him. It's beautiful. Incredible. That's a lovely picture. If it's the uh, the candidate with Shota, it just shows up, just crushes the tournament. I was rooting for Shota in this top eight. I am a gigantic Shota Yasuoka stan, but lots of people to root for in this one. And I mean, we mentioned the old guard, but Nathan is also, Nathan Stoyer is also in this top eight. Yeah. Is Nathan even, like, I know we've got, like, the Zoomers, but Nathan just feels like he kind of, like, transcends everything. <laughs> just, I don't know. How is Nathan this good? I don't. It's kind of it, absurd. I guess he works for it. He does, and he thinks about magic in a like fundamentally different way than I think 
I do or most of us do. And from what I understand, he's very efficient with his preparation and doesn't waste time and clearly has cracked the code because this consistent amount of success is just not really something we've ever seen before. I mean, he has been playing for a long time and it's it's kind of staggering to think like he has another, you know, decade He's plus 20. to improve. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like hopefully I don't think it'll take him as long to win his, you know, first pro tour air quotes. He's already won a bunch. He's already <laughs> run the world championships. He'll, so. he'll get the actual pro tour title like way before he reaches the read timetable, I'm sure. It it is funny that just because of how things worked, like this is his first pro tour top eight. Yeah. But but he's already like consensus probably the best player in the world right now. Yeah, I mean they said on on coverage that three it was three players first pro tour, and I was like, what? What are you talking about? Like, <laughs> who are who are these people who haven't played on the pro tour before? And then I was like, oh, they're not like counting right all the stuff in between the last pro tour and this <laughs> Andrew's pro tour in this one. Rest in peace to Andrew's uh, Twitter bio, the last pro tour champion. <laughs> he's now the longest reigning pro tour champion. I don't think anybody's going to take that away from him for a while, hopefully. Reed just wins the next four years of Pro Tours. like <laughs> <laughs> Does it the hard way. <laughs> Before we get into the you know metagame and specifics of results and stuff, I do want to just give a huge shout out to the quality of the coverage for this event. I have never seen a tournament with this like density of gameplay and uh, to me that's the most important thing is just we get to see a lot of games and there's not a lot of downtime and that made this like kind of the best cover tournament I've ever watched. Absolutely. No, it, was, it was really really good. I was it was a little jarring the first time like I'm watching a paper pro tour, right? Mm-hmm. And in the match the game finishes then they cut to the next one there's no shuffling or like mulliganing i'm like whoa it ha- what just happened this is this is crazy it was anorog fire shoes and will hall were all a part of the like coverage team right what a collection of goats in their own sort of fields yeah and also you know i think getting people in who have watched a lot of magic and like understand what makes for an enjoyable broadcast was like a a big part of that and they fixed things between day one and two and it wasn't big things it was like oh the the table top view is too a little too zoomed out and they zoomed that in so now we weren't getting you know players life pads is 50 percent of the play area that was a nice change uh the booth for some reason like the casters were not lit very well and were super dark but that got fixed for day two so you know those little improvements from day to day and then i'm sure bigger improvements from you know stream to stream and I mean, this makes me feel really good about where we're going with coverage. I, I just really appreciate the effort put in. There's a lot writing on this pro tour, I think, just in general. Uh, and I think they did a really good job, like all around. I mean, could you could you ask for a better like result of the pro tour? Like the top eight, super diverse, like one by like the finals decks were two decks that were pretty under the radar in Pioneer. Uh, the coverage mm-hmm. was like spotless you had a nice mix of like you know long time goats and like new up and comers it, it really just seems like sort of the the perfect outcome for the first pro tour yeah and you know pioneer looked good and it also was not like the win rates even though the like the the field was probably what 
a lot of these teams kind of expected. I don't think the win rates of these decks were like, I don't know that anybody could have predicted what was going to happen with these decks at the tournament itself. Definitely. And I, I, I really enjoyed uh, Cedric as his role as like the new BDM kind of. It's like where he fed into coverage. Yeah, although I wouldn't mind seeing him on coverage proper, personally. Strong. I, I, I think I agree he did a good job, but that's just because he's like good at this stuff, and I would love to see him back in the booth for part of the time at least. Yeah, when we were watching Worlds, <laughs> it was like we were like discussing the different commentators we liked and disliked on the broadcast, and someone asked what about cedric and i I just said he's objectively good at everything like in the coverage area so yeah he's gonna be great no matter what (laughs) yeah i mean he does a very good job i would like for them to use their resources as effectively as possible and cedric is a strong resource that they have access to they could also call patrick sullivan at any time i'm just saying i think he may have burned some bridges (laughs) I mean, I guess, but I just feel like it's not as a magic content viewer. I just feel like the positives outweigh. I've got, I mean, because I don't care about the bridges he burned, so I don't have any dog yeah. in that fight. You're right there with the gasoline pouring <laughs> fire. <on. laughs> yeah, that's probably true. <laughs> How did y'all feel about the um, the angle of coverage, I guess? Like, it was an arena or an mtgo view top down as opposed to like you know usually coverage you just are at the perspective of someone standing at the side of the table looking at the match i'll tell you it fit my it fit my phone orientation a lot better (laughs) (laughs) Hmm. i think that's a real consideration in the year 2023 honestly like you know we're back to vertical videos because of tiktok and people watching videos on their phone it's like a very important part of media consumption at first watching it, I was like, hmm, what's this? But I knew that a part of that was just like human brains don't like things that are different from what they're used to. And then especially once they zoomed in, like I felt like it was just fine. I don't know that I would say it's like better for me in any way, but I think it's completely acceptable. It was strictly different. Yeah. <laughs> when I had first tuned into the stream, I was like, oh, this is worst. Why would they change this? This doesn't make any sense. And then, like, ten minutes later, I was just watching a match of Magic and forgotten all about it. <laughs> How I learned to stop worrying and love the vertical alignment. <laughs> it's, it's, it just, like, doesn't matter very much. I was super surprised they didn't grab Pro for the top eight uh, of coverage. Commentator? Yeah. Like they didn't grab Paula or what have you. I that surprised me. do like when they do that, and uh, especially because getting people in who have prepared for this tournament and this format and have the level of knowledge is is really helpful compared to just the kind of generic understanding that people who weren't playing in this tournament can bring to the table. I wouldn't say I'm surprised, but I do think that that's a thing they should do. <laughs> so maybe hopefully. I'm really curious now what, what Pro Tour 2 will look like. Pro Tour Mom will look like. Uh, when... <laughs> <laughs> when uh, Based on the feedback and stuff, because the other thing was um, I saw Brittany said something about wanting uh, cards in hand count visible. And I totally agree with that. Like there would be it would be nice if there was like some way of knowing what the players have, like 
because they were like sort of loosely keeping track of what was in hand but it definitely would have been nice throughout the whole thing to be like this player has like x number of cards in hand um so you can sort of picture the game state a little bit better that is definitely something that i agree with and i think they need to improve on so that you can actually because you don't know what's going on if you don't know if they have one or four cards in their hand i also like my my biggest criticism is on the limited coverage where i felt like we made a couple of steps back uh especially given that you know we've seen from the mox coverage the way that draft coverage can be done and obviously paper play brings its own like hurdles to the table and some things are much easier with digital but i think that some level of investment into being able to like display the picks in the way that they do for the mocks would make the draft significantly more watchable and you can get way more invested in somebody's draft than when you're just seeing one card at a time and not having any idea what's going on outside of that especially if you like miss the first pack for whatever reason or something like that Mm -hmm. you tune in in the middle of it yeah Yeah. i i didn't get to watch any of the, the limited portion so i don't know about that one also, the top eight stream started at a different time from the Friday or Saturday streams, which really like caught me by surprise. Yeah, very confusing. It also ended way earlier. It did, which I yeah. guess is understandable. I guess yeah. we're used to those <laughs> double elimination brackets these days. Yeah, this isn't a double elimination. We're going to show all the games bracket. This yeah. is paper pro tour. Double People elimination would have been sick, though. <laughs> I I did kind of like get used to double elimination and appreciate that format just because then I get a whole day of games to yeah, watch. But it's a really good showsmanship kind of event. Like when you do the double elim thing, you get a lot of games. Yeah, but it does take forever. <laughs> it takes a really long time. Best of five, really nice though. Yeah, I agree. All right, now. Talk about Pioneer? We ready for that? Rest in peace, my beloved mono white human. Oh my goodness. (laughs) Uh, To give a quick breakdown, just kind of like looking at win rates of some of the major decks, top three registered decks, Rakdos Midrange, Mono Green Devotion, Gruel Vehicles. You know, we all saw that coming, that these are going to be the three most heavily played decks. None of these decks posted a positive win rate. Uh, 46 and change for Rakdos and Mono Green, 47 and change for Gruel Vehicles. People were ready for these decks. Uh, Mono White was had already been on a bit of a downturn of popularity, but I don't think, e- even though people were not less high on the deck as they had been in the past, I don't think anybody saw like a 36% win rate coming for this deck in this tournament. Yeah. Oh, it's like the lowest win percentage of any deck in the field that didn't have what that had like more than five pilots. Yeah. That said, I will say Mason Clark played mono white and tried to drop at one point, but like his match went too long and they got paired into Raja. Um, he got the pair up into Raja Suleiman and conceded to Raja and then drop so there sh- it should be slightly it should be like one percentage point higher than it was i'll tell you that right now <laughs> is that one match from a hundred or 100 players is that like one percent instead of 36 uh, 36 wins out of 99 matches it should be 36 wins out of 98 matches exactly <laughs> the numbers Still are lying to bad. you people <laughs> So it's 36 over 98. That's uh, 36.7%. Yeah, give us that (laughs) Give us that 0.5 additional percent. We deserve it. (laughs) 
All right. Well, Jesse, as a mono white stan, how how do we explain what happened to mono white this weekend? I think it's a few things. So number one, I am a die on the hill firm believer that mono white humans should play 23 lands. In the words of Sam Black, it's closer to 24 lands than 22. And I don't mm-hmm. quite believe that, but I it is absolutely, in my opinion, 23 lands is the right number. And almost everybody I saw was playing 22. So 22 with a bunch of Muta Vaults and a Shevet Dunes and uh, a couple of Ganjo Castles. And yeah. Now, do I know better than a bunch of Pro Tour qualified players? Yes, I do. Okay. (laughs) 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 But no, I I do. I I firmly believe that's that. I I don't know. A lot of these mono white decks just looked really bad to me on paper. um, And then they ended up not performing super well. But I don't think that is... That's obviously not the whole picture. I think Mono White didn't w- was very poorly positioned into this field. So, so part of the issue was it uh, stopped being close against Rakdos, and I'm not entirely sure why that is. But like one of the reasons Mono White was so good was because its quote unquote bad matchup was close to 50-50. The other issue was Gruel got an increased presence with Copper Line Gorge entering the format. Gruel is a really bad matchup. And then a lot of these other decks that are new to the scene, like like Selesnya Auras and, and Is It Creativity that like had these sort of surging weekends, all sort of crush. And I say sort of, they all crush mono white. Well, we said what the top three decks were, but decks four and five were Sacrifice and Creativity. And yeah. both of those sound like horrible matchups for mono white. Sac is also very bad, although a lot of players did bring Redains, which does help that matchup to some extent. But yeah, no, really bad there. And then the other big thing, if you look at this chart, the thing that's, that jumps out to me as a, uh, atrocious for Mono White is this 38% win rate versus Lotus Field. The number one appeal, in my opinion, to playing Mono White in Pioneer is you get you, before this last past weekend, you get to have a positive win rate against, you get to have like a good matchup against Lotus Field without playing any hate cards. That's like one of the main draws to playing the deck. You don't have to put Damping Sphere in your sideboard. Your deck is just fundamentally good against Lotus Field. But, and I'm not sh- 100% sure why that wasn't true this past weekend. But if you, if Mono White isn't beating Lotus Field, the deck is horrendous. Yeah, I, so this matchup chart that Frank Karsten has, I think just doesn't really have the samples from most of the tournament because, you know, there's only eight matches reflected here of mono white versus lotus field that's true so i you know th- i think the lotus field decks that showed up at this tournament were like very well built and stuff and probably better against mono white than especially early versions of the lotus field deck but probably they haven't quite like solved the matchup to make it an actively sure matchup for mono white well i also think it's telling that like the majority of the best players in the world showed up with like is it creativity and Lotus Field and Grease Fang? So I think that's another thing because at the Pro Tour, you have a lot of players who have qualified like for the first time or, or qualified, you know, after an, an amazing showing or whatever in like a single tournament. And then there's also like all the players who are just consistently Pro Tour level players. And when the top crust of the metagame is sort of congregating around certain decks, like I think that also has something to do with it, you know. Yeah, I mean, and we still are in the era of, like, there's 
you know, one super team left, right? And when Channel Fireball all shows up with Is It Creativity, then you're running into, like, that's a substantial portion of the field. And it's also a substantial portion of the best players in the field that you're going to run into. They're not going to make, like, mistakes against their bad matchups that are going to, or against their good matchups that are going to let you, like, get away with one. Like, they're just going to beat your white deck because they know how to play against it. Yeah. I think, well, Team Handshake's another another sort of super That's team true. these days. But yeah, and but they all showed up with Lotus or Grease, so... Grease Fang also had an absurd weekend. Yeah, kind of unexpectedly, at least to me. I don't think there's ever been a weekend that Grease Fang has had a winning. The, Grease Fang has never had a winning weekend before. I feel like, and but this time, uh, pretty much probably the best deck in the field, sixty six percent win rate, kind of unreal. Yeah, I, I think. I mean, some of it might be that, like the the innovations that like Tangrams made to the deck i know he was like the the sort of uh leading the charge for team handshake on uh innovating on grease fang and his deck was really interesting i would say i i don't know you get like the the traverse the ulvenwald scrapwork yeah and kind of package and the uh he's he's playing vessel of nascency is the is the wild thing so that's definitely uh super interesting i think also so phoenix also had a comeback and i think those two things are linked that Grease Fang and Phoenix both had a comeback. And I think that's just because if you look at these Rakdos lists, you see a lot fewer go blanks and a lot fewer unlicensed hearses. People just weren't bringing graveyard hate this time around. Uh, yeah. And I don't think like any of the lists had more than two graveyard trespassers. There was a lot of like the graveyard hate in this Rakdos deck is two main deck graveyard trespassers and one go blank in the sideboard. And that's extremely beatable for a Phoenix deck and even more beatable for a Grease Fang deck. Yeah, which which I think in turn hurts like mono white humans because the the like having to like playing graveyard hate, for instance, is like a pretty large portion of people's sideboards once they're if they're like dedicating it to it that doesn't touch mono white at all. So I think there's just like a lot of sort of factors happening where people just weren't prepared for graveyard decks, didn't bring hate for it. And then that had cascading effects throughout the throughout the format. Yeah, like look at this, you know, one of these top finishing this 8-2 Rakdos mid-range deck that I'm looking at in the sideboard where you might have Graveyard Hate now has a Noxious Grasp, a Coligan's Command, three Extinction Events, and two Rituals of Soot. Like, that's... Once, once you have two Rituals of Soot and a Noxious Grasp coming in against your Mono White deck, like... That's no and longer three, a good and matchup three anymore. Extinction events, holy cow! Yeah, that's yeah, that's miserable. <laughs> I am a little amazed though by the number of power word kills in some of these decks, given just the existence of angels as a deck that is fine and playable, and drawing a power word kill against angels is really miserable. But at least in power word kills favor, nobody really knew about Atraxa yet, and that wasn't a thing that anybody would have to beat. Um, I don't know how good Atraxa is going to be in Pioneer. I think that's like the worst format to play that card in right now, but I don't I don't know how high I'm going to be on Power Word Kill for a while. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I am curious what this, this Pro Tour would have looked like if it was like one to two weeks later after the set had dropped, because I do think putting Atraxa into play is good. That's my hot take. Um, so... <laughs> And the the ways to do it. This is why we have you. As a yeah, exactly. Player. Yeah, official titty pills play is putting attracts into play. No, um, I I do think that like 
but the, the ways to do it in pioneer are somewhat lacking like you have you can like neoform into it by sacking a hooting mandrels yeah all of those decks are playing tie game scheming yeah in the list that i've seen which Horrible. is not i can't recommend registering tie game scheming in pioneer even though it got the surveil keyword it's it's sick it just says surveil five now it's yeah. beautiful text but yeah but no yeah and then there's like transmogrify which is super vulnerable to stomp and fatal push the most interesting way to do it seems like the, this creativity deck. If people adapt to creativity in various ways, I could see that deck shifting in an Atraxa direction. Big score is a really nice way to set up hard cast Atraxa. You can cast Atraxa on turn five. Uh, if you big score into it, provided you're more than just is it colors, that's definitely something that could happen. I will say that after having mucked around with Atraxa a fair bit in multiple formats, just trying to see what works, I do think that big score is a deep, deep trap if you're not a blue deck. If you're a blue deck, you can use it to do this stuff. But if you don't have good ways of using mana otherwise on big score turns, there's like a decent chance that you draw a big score off of your first big score and your hand is just atrocious and then you, you die. But in blue decks, it, it can be fine. Yeah, I definitely... I agree. I think if you were to play like, it's, I'm wondering like if there's like a, a Teamer or a, a Grixis mm -hmm. version of this deck, or just straight is it? And you know, I've I've, I've played a couple leagues now with the is it creativity deck, and uh, you do generate more than two treasures a decent amount of the time, so it's not that hard to, it wouldn't be that hard to hard cast it, and I could see, I could see that being a direction the deck goes. Um, I believe uh, Gab Nasif is writing about, or not writing about, but talking about um, potentially moving uh, Atraxa into the deck somehow, perhaps in the sideboard this week in his video. That's some insider knowledge right there. Um, <laughs> it'll probably have already happened by the time this comes out. <laughs> this, Yeah, this should come out on Thursday, so probably that will already exist. But it, that doesn't surprise me. Like the As a sideboard big card juke, like it's relatively castable and it just fuels everything. Yeah. And if it gets removed, you drew six cards. So like the creativity deck also does play a lot of good cards to hit in general, I think. So I think that's a really important part of making a track. work for you is, you know, like I've been playing it in standard and my like takeaway has been like all the decks that are devoting all of these resources to being an Atraxa deck and then you draw all of these bad cards like you have four bitter reunions in your deck and it's like okay for my enchantments I'll put bitter reunion in my hand or <laughs> you could just play all good cards and then the spells you reveal with Atraxa are all good and so like I've just been playing basically Rakdos midrange and then you just put four cruelty of gix and four Atraxa in your deck and then the rest of your decks the rest of your deck is just like fable of the mirror breaker blood tithe harvester and cheap interaction and then you put five spells with your hand into your hand with Atraxa and they're spells that would be in your deck otherwise and that feels much better don't let Bob and Cheese hear you call Bitter Reunion a bad card. I mean, in if you're doing really busted stuff, if you're just yeah. doing like regular things and then just drawing cards with your big fatty, like I, I'm obviously if your Bitter yeah, Reunion no, is right. just an attack for seven for an extra yeah. mana. Well, no, I'm, uh, I'm just might teasing. not be worth uh, playing our fable. <laughs> It is nice to haste up in a Draxa. Like I'm not, I'm not gonna take that away oh, no, from anybody. 
but that is the thing it does, right? Yeah. yeah. It also hates Fable. That's pretty nice. That is nice. <laughs> that, that's true. But we're not trying to like draw bitter unions off of our tracks that I give our Fable token haste. No, I mean, Attracts are really, really excels, at least in the smaller formats, when you can just trade resources with reasonable cards, and then at some point in the game, you just put it away by drawing five cards and putting a 7-7 into play. And that that's where I've been most impressed by it. So, like, in a build of creativity that's like the the build from this tournament where just kind of most of your cards are good, then it, it does sound attractive to me as, I don't know, a sideboard option or how you build the deck. I know, I, I, I fully know this is this is a bad idea, so don't come at me in yeah. uh, the, the comments or whatever, but I have been having brainworms about a, like, Soul Flare Neoform Atraxa deck because it gives oh, Soul Flare no. four keywords and you can Neoform Soul Flare into just an actual Atraxa. <laughs> <laughs> don't try okay, this at home yeah, kids those are, those are true statements <laughs> i'm the less synergies. mad about this than any deck that plays tie game scheming in it well just let me get to the rest of the deck Four <laughs> how many chromanticores are we running it's a great question that's an enchantment or a creature that you can put in your hand with, holy with cow and then you can bestow it onto a traxa <laughs> i mean <laughs> gotta max your <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna bestow this now. <laughs> if you um, thought Atraxa was good, waiting for Atraxa enchanted by a Chromanticore. <laughs> what does it even gain from that? Haste? There's no way to know. Uh, Chromanticore doesn't give haste. Oh, it, it just gives Atraxa. That's like the one thing you should be able to strike. that it should get. Wow, um, you can also draw a Zatalpa Primal Dawn. Yeah, put that into your hand. Really excited for this. I can't wait to play against this garbage deck, and then the opponent puts Traxa attracts it into play reveals it or just like looks at a pile of cards and in it is a fable and a chromanticore and they just slam the chromanticore <laughs> which do i take <laughs> i didn't know I, obviously i have no idea what's in like the current soul flare lists but i did catch one on todd anderson's stream today and what striped river winder is in that deck and that gives hexproof and it cycles all on its own which i thought was very clever but you know also, I'm not interested in playing a Soul Flare deck, really. Hopefully that was a... Yeah. I, I can't believe someone's anyway. playing Soul Flare and Pioneer in current year. Yeah, I don't think that is what you want to be doing. Maybe my brain worms have their own Magic Online account. <laughs> played against Soul Flare in Modern. The very first time I played against Soul Flare. Soul Flare. I played against Soul Flare in Modern. It was Was there faithful suiting or something, but... <laughs> it was in 2020. Oh, wow. Uh, that was the first time I'd read the that, card. That should well. have been the first sign that something bad was about to happen in 2020. I'll tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. Yeah, that, that was a big warning flag. <laughs> we, we all went home forever after that one. <laughs> what were we talking about? Um, <laughs> so in Pioneer, in this pro tour that happened this past weekend. Oh, right. Yeah, of course. Of course. All right. So. You know, what have we already talked about? All three of the most heavily played decks got kind of beat up real bad. They were expected, and people were ready for Mono Green, were ready for Gruul, and were ready for Rakdos. Phoenix and Grease Fang both, like, really benefited from the huge lack of graveyard hate in the format. And Grease Fang benefited from, although Phoenix was pretty good this weekend, it was not heavily played. And I think Phoenix is probably its worst matchup. 
And so not having to play against that and not having to play against really any unlicensed hearses out of the decks that it like beats up when they don't have unlicensed hearses. And yeah, that was a formula for success for Grease Fang this weekend. And, and it did incredibly well. And then also Selesnya Auras made the finals of the tournament. Not a deck that I have ever played with or against in Pioneer, but it does have Razor Verge Thicket now and Skrelv, which are kind of gigantic upgrades to this deck. I think almost... Uh, even more than Benton's list, although I'm sure he can claim scoreboard. I'm really interested in the list that Simon Nielsen tweeted uh, the picture of with like two Mox Amber and doesn't actually play any natural hexproof creatures. Um, it plays Illuminator Virtuoso instead and has Skrelv to give hexproof. That list looks hot. I remember that list. And didn't he say something about Mox Amber not it being worth it okay don't end? burst my bubble am I just imagining this <laughs> he may he very much he very well may have <laughs> simon nielsen too honest <laughs> like it, it's su- it's super sweet don't get me wrong i actually really like this deck list but i do remember uh someone i think it was simon saying that mox hammer was just not really worth it in that deck but yeah i, th- I think selesnia auras i mean i have thought that deck was close to good for a while I literally went on record saying that before the first regional championship weekend. And I think that the deck, I mean, it's the kind of deck that if anybody wants to beat you, they will. Um, But if nobody wants to beat you, they won't. So I don't know. It's another one of those (laughs) decks in that tier. Well, it also, before Skrelv, it had a lot of draws that normal magic cards would beat. Where like, if your opponent has a fatal push and a stomp, and they know what you're doing, then there's really no way for you to function. But with the existence of Skrelv now, I think that you have a lot of hands that just play, and that more hands that work, that you don't have to mulligan to a hexproof thing because you know your opponent is playing removal, you just have more options for this, that's going to make the deck a, a lot better. And yeah, there there was a game Benton played, I think may have been his winning in. It was one of the ones that was on camera where his turn one was scroll of his turn two was light pause and then he just like went off on turn yeah three. almost did lethal on his opponent had a removal spell but it, there was a scroll in play so it didn't matter he was dead yeah i i think that it just gives you better goldfishes ah oh, max amber is incredible that yeah. we do board it out. i found the tweet i found okay, the tweet okay nice all right perfect Bubble unburst. Yeah, my bubble has reformed around Mox Amber, my baby. <laughs> Deck does have a lot of legends in it. And th- see, this is the thing. Like, they keep printing so many constructed quality legends that, like, this is a deck that just accidentally ended up with, like, 11 or 12 legends in it. And that's going to happen more and more. And, like, Mox Amber is only going to get better over the next couple of years. Thanks, Commander. Yeah, everyone should have bought their Mox Ambers... A year, like a year and a half ago, <laughs> that's my that's my advice. Go back in time and buy Mox Ambers when I did. I bought I bought my Mox Ambers on release. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I got them to play Fibblethip decks, so you know we're, we're we are set. not the same. <laughs> I got them. I got them because they were a zero mana artifact that tapped for mana, and legendary seemed like a good card type. Like I, I didn't know it was gonna go. I mean, it, that's exactly how it went. I I currently own I believe seven Mox Ambers, so <laughs> yeah, just like your once pond. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So you can build like three breach decks at once. Well, I had normal ones thanks to Mason 
uh, traded them to me, which he regrets to this day uh, in exchange for Tarmogoyfs. Um, uh, so, wow. <laughs> yeah, card is very good, and uh, I'm excited to see. We, we're like one one drop away from it being busted in both like Pioneer and in Modern. It just like we just needed to be a little bit better. And and then it'll. Need, I'm just waiting for Rackman two. Well, yeah. with with no. Skrelv and Kithian, I feel like we're so close in Pioneer. Yeah, I I agree. Also, hold on, it is good in Modern. Well, okay, but I mean, like, just in a deck, not in. <laughs> no, no, I'm, you no know. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Unfortunately, with like the new legends that are spoiled, they appear to be Voltrons, and I don't imagine most of those are going to cost one. <laughs> Yes, if you're getting two legends in the card art, then it's probably like a four or five mana thing. Just wait for Ragavan and Skrelv. It's a red-white hybrid card. How big is Skrelv? Ragavan can't be riding Skrelv, right? They just have to no, be No, Skrelv like, is riding Ragavan. Well, Skrelv is a mite, so it's attached uh, to Ragavan. <laughs> of course, of course. But don't monkeys like eat their mites? Isn't that like a thing? Well... They're teaming right. up. Like this is an unlikely allies thing. I'm sure the Gitrog monster. Don't would dinosaurs like eat, eat their vampires? Yeah. <laughs> I <laughs> love that stupid dinosaur. I number one, I'm really excited to die to it being put in off of Soren and getting like really salty about it. I also just love that the sizing is just like they have acknowledged that once a creature costs like six or seven mana, it can have any power and toughness, and it doesn't matter. The eighteen six Yargle. Yes. That card makes me mad because it's a rare, so you'll open it and limited and be like, "God, this is unplayable." And then at any other time, it's also unplayable. It's a small cost for a great joke. Yeah, the flavor text, the flavor text is, nice. is great. The dinosaur with like the vampire hanging on to it, coming at you. I can't help but wonder what is the vampire bringing to the table. Like the dinosaur feels sufficient to me. Oh. <laughs> like, <laughs> like if imagine a dinosaur. Imagine a dinosaur running at you and you're like, oh, it's just a dinosaur. And then you see the tiny little like uh, speck of a vampire on it. And you're like, no, <laughs> I was ready for this dinosaur. Maverin is bringing the attack trigger. That's, that, you know, mechanically, that's what Maverin is bringing to the table. But as far as like the threat of battling a 12-12 dinosaur versus the threat of battling a 12-12 dinosaur with a vampire on its head... Yeah, I mean, not the most terrifying addition. To continue sideboarding this hilariously derailed episode. <laughs> My favorite part about the the like the legends teaming up cards that they've been previewing, uh, they're like all iconic characters. When they get to Ixalan, it's like, all right, Galta and a guy you've never know, heard of wearing a suit, vampire guy, <laughs> and, and it's like, oh yeah, Mavern Fane. That's that oh, card. Yeah. I lost to that in limited a bunch of times. Let's slap them on there. All right, we did it. We've got iconic Ixalan They should have put Lannery Storm on top. Captain Lannery Storm. So when you make 12 treasures That would have been sick. (laughs) (laughs) But then you couldn't put Galta into play off of your Soren. You you gotta... (laughs) Okay. You have to make sacrifices somewhere. Yeah, I'm not confident that that's going to be a playable combination, but I am confident that people are going to try it. I mean, yeah, people. I mean, it's just Xander. worse than Xander, right? Yeah, but Xander's not good. I think Xander is. I actually horrible. do think it's better than well, Xander I'm because you can actually lose to Galt and Maverick when it comes into play. <laughs> yeah, 
Like, Xander's just a vanilla 6-6. Like, none of its abilities do anything. Yeah, I the first time that happened to me, I was like, oh, God, I'm in danger. And then I, like, read it, and I was like, wait, I think I can beat this. And then I did, in fact, beat it, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that was that story. <laughs> it's it's literally, like, putting in that 7-drop, it's just worse than putting in Champion of Dusk. It's a completely bizarre addition. Uh, the 12-12, though, who knows? Anyway, the Pro Tour. Uh, all right, so let's What's see. the Pro Tour again? Stuff. I forgot about that. There was no mono green at all in this top eight. It, you know, just kind of got ranched. Everybody sort of had their plans for mono green. Uh, you know, Rakdos is kind of even with it nowadays. And other decks just, I don't think anybody picked a deck where they felt like they were a huge dog to it. And that's enough to make the deck, although very powerful, when the die roll, you can beat anything. If people are ready for it, people bring enough either gusts and disdainful strokes and whatever. Like I, that creativity matchup is probably horrible for green, and uh, that'll that'll be enough to make the deck just not worth bringing. You don't have the ability to change your deck around to address these problems, and so not not great. Yeah, I think it's interesting because green was sort of getting ranched at, at the end of the regional championship season two. Mm-hmm. And I think there was like, people sort of thought it was going to bounce back and it sort of did for like a week or two. But I feel like at this point we can sort of confidently say that it's not the best thing to do in the format anymore, which is feels very strange given how broken it was, you know, for a, a while. Um, I do think its creativity matchup is actually better than it looks on paper, especially if you put like Ratchet Bomb in your sideboard to get with with Karn and stuff. But but yeah, it's just I don't know. It does not seem like a deck worth registering. And I wonder if like for the first I mean, we have a long time before another major pioneer tournament, but it, it seems likely that Mono Green will not be in the top two most registered decks next time. Uh, it was still the second most registered deck this time around. Yeah, I mean, it did kind of have like a an arc where like after the regional championships, it felt like, okay, let's put down Mono Green for a little while. And then it had to sort of like come back for a little bit. And then we sort of caught it on this like rising wave of the amount that people were playing it. But maybe a lot of the people who registered it just should not have gotten caught on that wave for this weekend. I, You know, the Pro Tour field... Everybody showing up to this tournament knows what decks exist in the format. And although Mono Green is a powerful deck, there's 57 slots that are locked in the main deck. Like, you know what you're playing against and you can choose to beat it. And I, I think most people did. And you don't get better post sideboard. Right, yeah. The, right. the main problems with Mono Green to me are that your, your deck is static and every other deck in the format has just gotten better. And Mono Green has not. So, like, Mono Green's really good when you you stumble. Like, your opponent causes you to stumble in some way, kills your elves or whatever. And then you just catch up before they can kill you. Like, that happens. It happened all the time. But nowadays, the cards are, mm-hmm. the strategies and the cards that have come out are just so much better at killing you. Like, you, you, you interact with Mono Green, and they're on the back foot. Like, they're not catching up with one card. Yeah, Storm the Festival is no longer the terrifying thing it once was. I also think it's interesting that that Rakdos didn't do very well, given it feels like that's been the one constant through the entire regional championship season was Rakdos performing, you know, at around 51, 52 percent. And this weekend it was at what, like 46? Yeah, pretty low. Yeah, I mean, I don't have great 
reasons for that. You know, Gruul was the third most registered deck. Gruul is pretty good against Rakdos. Um, Sacrifice is the fourth most registered deck, and Sacrifice is one of those decks that often has a similar matchup profile to Rakdos, except worse against a couple of decks, and it has a, a pretty noticeable advantage against the mid-range version of the deck. And so, you know, third and fourth most registered decks are decks that people choose to beat Rakdos with. And so that's, you know, not great for the Rakdos players in the room. And I imagine that the creativity deck was chosen because it's one of the decks that is fine against Rakdos as well. Uh, another mono green note on Twitter, Matt posted a like little breakdown of some of the card choices, the variations in the mono green decks. So lots of like little interesting things if you're really into mono green. The thing that really like broke my brain is that there was some portion of people who registered three Kioras in their mono green deck, and I just get that's really upsetting to me. I don't know how you would qualify for a pro tour go to the pro tour choose mono green and then put three kioras in your deck classic case of the outsmarting yourself <laughs> i guess no one no one expects this but it's like the worst thing <laughs> i do want to say is it creativity is pretty weak against rakdos it's uh rakdos beat at 68 okay. percent of the time and uh, i think the pros were saying that uh, like cfb folks were saying that rakdos is a deck they definitely didn't want to play against just because you get your stuff thoughtsies and your deck isn't that good as like a mid-range that is it deck just isn't that good as a mid-range deck it doesn't really catch up gotcha. like pound for pound cards the way similar decks do okay yeah that's fair also big score is not really card advantage like it's it's trading mm -hmm. you discard a card and you cast a card and you draw two cards but it's also a really bad card to cast when they like made a three power thing on turn two and then <laughs> yeah. put some more power on the board on turn three. God forbid played a shieldred. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, it's very bad against <laughs> shield. I mean, e even just something like Thoughtseize where you just, they take a good card to so see you just have fewer cards in your hand and you still have to play lands. It's like, the card's got to come from somewhere. Okay. Then, yeah. I mean, I, I don't have a really good grasp on like what makes Rakdos that much better or that much worse on any given weekend definitely like cutting the graveyard hate and then graveyard decks kind of showed up is not awesome either not in huge numbers but you know if these phoenix decks and grease fang decks do exist and then start beating you because you don't have unlicensed hearses that's a cost yeah i'm sure that had something to do with it as well just like people didn't tune their decks for the field that they wound up playing against also just browsing through some of the top performing rakdos decks in the pro tour a lot of them just chose not to register damping sphere at all uh, which is interesting considering that uh, oh. lotus field was yeah known to be a big deck going into this tournament ash told me yeah. she was not going to register any fewer than four copies of damping sphere this weekend and then she registered three so she lied Ooh. to my face maybe uh her team just browbeat her into it yeah probably <laughs> you think these things about your sideboard and what you want in them and then you look at it and you realize like how few cards 15 cards really is and how difficult it is to fit everything you need in there there are two wolves inside you one is ritual of soot and one is damping sphere exactly i do think players are kind of allergic to registering damping sphere and i'm sympathetic towards this because i too am somewhat allergic to it because it feels so bad to put a card in your sideboard that literally is only good in one matchup. Um, mm -hmm. But like 
you, you got to do what you got to do. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it's the only card that's effective out of Rakdos in that matchup, right? Like, but yeah, you're not bringing it in anywhere else. At least you can't accidentally bring it in anywhere else. Yeah. <laughs> I guess once you're once you're at the pro tour, you're no longer tricking yourself into bringing it in against Nickthos or whatever. So, oh, I've never even considered doing that. I didn't think that was a thing. <laughs> you haven't, but people do do that. It's really bad. Wow. I've, okay, I've just been living in this privileged position of not that ever occurring to me. <laughs> also, don't bring privileged position in against uh, Mono Green. It's not legal. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it? There's a lot of reasons not to bring it <laughs> in. Am I thinking oh, wait, was it in original Ravnica? Yeah, Prisoner's Choice is in original Ravnica. <laughs> oh, I I just assumed it was RTR. Jesse, do you even play EDH? <laughs> I do. I, I own a single copy of Privileged Position, or I did for a while, because I, I bought the, like, Selesnia Guild deck, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, many years ago. And by many years ago, I mean, like, three. <laughs> uh, let's see. What else? I noted that the creativity board plan where they just kind of like either boarded out the combo or boarded down on the combo and brought in Holebreaker horrors as the thing and basically just turn into like the shark typhoon is it control deck on coverage it looked like it was catching people off guard even though there were open deck lists uh i think it's just a really powerful way to transition people have the fear of getting creativity and you know i just saw it like a Phoenix player get completely dismantled post board, like holding up counters magic when there was nothing left in the deck to counter holding up negate on their turn. So even with open deck lists, that strategy can be very effective. And so probably even post pro tour, when that strategy is known, it can be very effective for your pioneer RCQs. It's interesting how, because uh, Reed like brought in Holebreaker Horrors and then brought them back out against Nathan. So mm-hmm. even just the threat of being able to do that is adds such an interesting texture. Yeah, you kind of like roll roll a die or something like that and just figure out what you want to do with your with your board plan and keep your opponent guessing. In Nathan's deck, they had a, a fantastic version of Lotus Field and they cracked a stone brain problem with their Lair of the Hydra plan, which I thought was brilliant. Galaxy brain, so smart. Uh, for anybody who wasn't listening to the chatter during the top eight match between Reed and Nathan, uh, the way this works is basically like, you get stone brained by mono green and what they stone brain is your masterminds acquisition because most of these lists only have masterminds acquisition as a way to actually kill your opponent but that's not stopping you from comboing off and so what you can do is draw your whole deck cast it all cast it all again from your graveyard with leer and get an enormous amount of mana and so then you can tap down all of their guys with hidden strings put a Lair of the Hydra into play with an Arboreal Grazer, and then you can copy it with your Thespian stage that has been a Lotus Field for the rest of your turn, make it a gigantic Hydra and attack, and just a really clean, low deck space solution to the problem of getting Stonebrained, and I'm sure that it was relevant to them this weekend. And the downside with Lair of the Hydra being, like... You can play it on turn four as your fourth yeah. land you played for the game, and it enters untapped. <laughs> it's untapped. It's so <laughs> wild. <laughs> it always feels it always feels like cheating when you like play a Lotus Field, then you play a land that uh, botanical sanctum or a layer of the Hydra, and you're like, all right, this is untapped now. My fourth land. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, also, the only 9-1 deck to come out of Swiss was Angels, and it was a build of Angels that I hadn't seen even after the printing of Razor Ridge Thicket, but seems really obvious, which is just put some Llanowar Elves into Angels, because you want to start playing the game a little earlier with this, like, ponderous, expensive deck. This deck would murder for Avacyn's Pilgrim. Yes. <laughs> Imagine yes. your opening hand with a uh, Llanowar Elves and Kayla's Reconstruction versus Avacyn's Pilgrim and Kayla's Reconstruction. Oof. You also have like Skyclave Apparition in the deck and stuff. Like, yes. Well, Resplendent Angels also double white, right? <laughs> I love the yeah. three three split of Elves and, and Mystic. Can't go four four. No, there's only room for six Elves in this deck, and we don't want to favor one or the other. Although you should play. Llanowar Elves. You should play the fourth Llanowar Elves over the third Elvish Mystic. Oh, that's interesting because I like four Elvish Mystic more than uh, four Llanowar Elves. Oh, I just like history, Lee. I guess you don't have any respect for the integrity of the game. The, wow. That... Well, you gotta you gotta be mindful of, of Legion's end uh, picking <laughs> off all of your <laughs> your named creatures. So I think Legion's end no longer a tech card against auras because auras doesn't play selfless savior so i think we can rest safely in the knowledge that i don't think anybody's going to be putting any legion's ends in their sideboards don't don't listen to him listeners you got to watch out for legion's end at all times it could come for you at any moment you have to be ready when you see that black mana interplay it's on your mind <laughs> oh god even before they play black mana because just because they haven't played it yet doesn't mean they won't at some point play the black mana and then legions end you. Playing against a normal size oh, man. Why do I play more than one copy of any creature? Unreal. Yeah, the commander players do not have this problem. Yeah, legions end is pretty bad in commander. I don't really... I actually... Okay, to be serious about the angels deck for a second, though, I do like, obviously, just putting elves in your stupid deck that doesn't start until playing in turn four. It also alleviates the razor rouge thicket problem where... Razor Ridge Thicket goes from being like pretty medium to bad in Angels to actually good. It's it's it just feels like a spew that the land that got printed in your colors isn't very good. So now you get to recoup that value by playing Llanowar Elves. I mean, yeah, it's wild that they're only playing two youthful Valkyrie too. I mean, I get you have to make room for the the third elf and the third elf, but uh, it just looks so bad to my eyes. Yeah, I mean every card in the deck except for the 2-4 and Giada, right? Like Giada and the 2-4 are like the two good cards in the deck and everything else is just filler to make those cards work. So I used to own four copies of Resplendent Angel. What happened? Another another Jesse fact. Did um, you trade those for Roxanne's as well? Life happened, Lee. <laughs> <laughs> I sold three of them right before rotation. Uh but I wanted to keep one. My first standard deck was Celesnia Angels in Guilds of Ravnica. Thanks. Aw. Fits with the Celesnia guild theme deck, too. A lot of yeah, Jesse yeah, I was this really Celesnia pilled. Yeah. <laughs> we got to get it in while we can. You're, you know, you're not here as often as Lee and I are, so we got to pick all that information out of you. What Come for the Pro Tour insight, stay for the Jesse lore dumps. Well, do we have any more Jesse facts or Pro Tour info? I want to talk about Yuda's card. Oh yeah, Fairy Mastermind. The glasses. Yeah, on a magic card. Oof. Game changing. Oh, doesn't Snapcaster Mage have glasses? <laughs> he has one. He has like a monocle, doesn't he? 
Oh, that's not the right art of Snapcaster made. Oh, yeah, it's just... No, it's this, that's definitely glasses. It's glasses with, it's like, glasses? a special lens in one of them. Oh. Yeah, I stared at the at the glasses for a very long time, trying to decide if this was real or not, and then I realized I was watching the magic stream. <laughs> <laughs> what do y'all think of this card? Because it's... First of all, I'm, I'm glad that Yuta got a fairy. Oh, yeah. Necessary. The Yuta Takahashi lore of just being a fairies main even in modern for the longest time when it was just not a playable deck at all well not playable for yeah sure people. he top eight challenges often with it but it was insulting to everyone else <laughs> <laughs> and no one else could just, just match him as good yeah. as him we have it on good authority from carmen that this card is quote not weak so i feel like that's my baseline starting point for evaluating it. when he was talking about the card on stream I, I also don't think it's weak. Uh, I love that he mentioned it was so good in Commander. Because I don't know if, if Yuta plays Commander or whatever. Uh, but and it is just beyond good in Commander. But I like to think that that wasn't prompted. And Watsi, or um, Yuta just like loves Commander so much that he was willing to speak about it. Even though, like Watsi's most popular <laughs> format. I think it's possible that it was just him being like, please play the card that has my face on it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's good in Commander. I want it played as often as possible. So this card is one in a blue, 2-1, Flash Flying, which is like already enough to get some degenerates to play it in Standard, but it also Including has <laughs> whenever an opponent... <laughs> yeah. It also has whenever an opponent draws their second card each turn, you draw a card, and three in a blue, each player draws a card. I do think that this card is quite good, and I think it's like potentially really good in like legacy because everybody's casting cantrips all the time and you get, like this has like a narcity ability where just casting a cantrip on your turn is horrible with this thing in play yeah i heard some legacy folks talking about this card like it was playable and i'm not gonna discount it like a playable blue two drop mm. that draws cards in legacy it seems like a low bar for any legacy playable card flash giving it you know playability yeah yeah then in like smaller formats like this card is obviously if there's a blue deck in standard that wants this stuff then this is like one of the best versions you know people were playing like fairy vandal and stuff in their flash decks so. don't, don't come for me don't come for me <laughs> <laughs> and this is some order of magnitude more powerful than fairy vandal breaks my heart to admit it but this is just strictly better fairy vandal they finally did it <laughs> the mad lads at Wizards of the Coast. <laughs> it's really good with Fairy Vandal, right? Look, I can't comment on how good it is with Fairy Vandal or I'll lose my credibility. <laughs> <laughs> they both have the same trigger condition, so it's great. I guess they have, like, conflicting trigger conditions, eh, sort of. Yeah, because you kind of want to... Yeah, I want to activate Yuda on your opponent's turn. Right. None of this really matters. This card is, you know, impressively costed for what it does. I'm also curious... To what degree the like strength of this card will be in activating it? Because is like drawing an extra card every turn? I guess like you're drawing three cards and they're drawing two. Like I I don't know. I'm having I have a really hard time evaluating the strength of of the activated ability. Yeah, I think that's a a bonus. I think that's like a tack on for like when you're out of stuff, you can do this. But mostly it's like, oh, you have a Fable of the Mirror Breaker in play. I get to draw an extra card off of my two drop. Oh, yeah. Like, one of the things that like Shieldred has taught us is like, holy crap, people draw a lot of cards in all of these formats. 
and Shieldred kills them really quickly. And every time Shieldred would get an extra trigger, this is a two drop that draws a card. Like, and and I think that just there's a lot of situations where your opponent's drawing cards, and the fact that this comes down on turn two and then punishes any time that they draw an extra card on their turn. I think there's a lot of situations where that's really, really annoying. I mean, imagine like you go to your third or second chapter of Fable and your opponent in response flashes this in and you're staring at your bad hand and you're like, oh, God, like what? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I mean, at least you can choose not to. So you don't have to give them the extra card there, but that's still really bad for you. Silver Gill Adept. It's like a, a really good Silver Gill Adept, right? Because you're, you're trying to play it when it draws a card. A 2-1 that draws a card for 2 is really strong. Uh, and this also flies, and it's got other text. It, I think it's just a good card. Having 2 power on this is is wild. Like, you just, like, the best ambush viper ever. I remember him saying that he really wanted it to be either a 2-3 or a 1-3, so he could just block Ragavan and Polya. <laughs> <laughs> and everyone was like, no, you can't do that. They should make it have first strike. Ooh. Little yeah. blue first why, why not? That doesn't work with against Thalia, though. Okay, but <laughs> what's what's lower than tertiary? That's where first strike is in blue. <laughs> so yeah, I think that one is the most obviously good card of the cards that got spoiled. There's also the Squee and Slimefoot, which really disappointedly has a commander symbol on it, because I want to play that card. There's a Squee and a Slimefoot? I yeah, didn't see that. Jund colors. I didn't Full disclosure, okay. I didn't look at the card for very long because I realized it was a commander card, but how mm-hmm. is the card squee? What about it is the squee traits? Coming back from the graveyard is a squee oh, thing. Oh, sure, okay. It's oh, red also. Okay, yeah. That's yeah, it has to be reflected <laughs> in the mechanics, though. Yeah, I take back all confusion. <laughs> yeah. I just kind of like the type line Fungus Goblin. I That was my it's nickname It's not the first Fungus Goblin. <laughs> I Wait, it's not like the it, first though. Fungus Goblin? No, there's one from Dominaria United. Everyone is going to Scryfall and searching for fungus <laughs> right now. I searched for fungus goblin, and this one was the yeah, only thing I gave it up. Is. What's the goblin that got a land? Was that not a fungus? I thought that it was a fungus, but I guess I'm wrong. It's like sprouting goblin, right? I googled it instead of Scryfalling it, and the first thing was Goblins, oh, the it's... Fungal Body Politic by Max Gladstone. So, <laughs> <laughs> Okay, that's not what we're looking for, Jesse. All okay, right, well, sorry. this is fucked up because this card is named Sprouting Goblin. He's covered in mushrooms, and he's a goblin druid. Yeah, see? Not a fungus. Good job, Squee and Slimefoot. <laughs> I feel like they only got there off of technicality. I'm going to be thinking about this guy's face for a long time. How happy he is to be covered <laughs> yeah. in mushrooms. He, he's like voguing. He has like a, his hand <laughs> under his chin. I know. <laughs> 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 he knows that somebody's painting him right now. That's the only explanation. I mean, it has to be, yeah. Should we talk about cards that are actually constructed playable? <laughs> the only other cards that I thought looked viable for anything were the big six mana chandra and the um the, the completed omnath we finally get our five color omnath the only way to make it black was to make it phyrexian with a, a comically oversized phyrexian black mana symbol right in the middle of the rest of the symbols it is incredibly sick i will say that this is a really cool design really cool card so it costs 
Wooberg, but the black mana is Phyrexian. If you would lose unspent mana, that mana becomes black instead. At the beginning of your pre-combat main phase, look at the top card of your library. You may reveal that card if it has three or more colored mana symbols in its mana cost. If you do, add three mana in any combination of its colors and put it into your hand. If you don't... So you, you always draw the card, but you get the mana of the card if it is three or more mana symbols in it. Which, you know, obviously this is a very powerful card if you can swing the mana cost. And you do have to untap with it, so it is not a mole drifter. They learned a little bit of a lesson, at least, Yeah. from previous Omnath. The oil dripping from the black hand in the art is so sick. Yeah, um, is his face the red part, I guess? Yeah, that, I think his face is always the red part. His Okay. Yeah, his face is his it's a, his deep in his chest with rage from the locust. Oh, okay. Rage. It's, it's weird, weird though because he started, he started as green. green. Yeah, wow. Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He was all green, then he was green with a red chest. Then he was green with a red chest and blue arms. Okay, all right. Interesting. <laughs> and maybe maybe he had three different colored arms in that in that art actually. I don't remember. Yeah, I like and the it, very clean, organized progression of Omnath from one to five colors over the course of his existence. It's it's a very satisfying journey. Yeah. Oh man, everything about this card is is really nice from a That's card design and story design perspective. One hundred percent. The the throwback to the original uh text box too is really nice like the with the with the lose unspent mana that mana becomes black the yeah. unspent mana thing. Yeah, yeah that is really cool and this is honestly the first character who you know i'm not a lore guy or whatever but like the completion of various planeswalkers is just like oh okay they're you know they're doing this story thing the bad guys but down. like i'm Omnath getting completed and this is how they got the black mana in and he's got these like weird trailing tentacles and yeah the the oil dripping off like that that is a compelling like it makes me feel something you know and that's it's good storytelling I do appreciate that you can also cast this off of Omnath for mana it's true Lucas of creation yeah and you get the life right back (laughs) Um, I wonder, this Chandra seems, I mean, that plus one is kind of wild. Oh, it's just an instant or sorcery. Okay, never mind. It's less wild. I don't know if it's good. It seems worse than the other six mana Chandra. Yeah, I mean, this seems much more specific than other Chandras that we've seen. So this is six mana, four red red, five loyalty. It has a triggered ability. Whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, copy it. You may choose new targets for the copy. This ability triggers only once each turn. Plus two is add two mana in any combination of colors. Plus one, exile the top five cards of your library. Until the end of your next turn, you may cast an instant or sorcery spell from among those exiled cards. And minus X deals X damage to each of up to two targets. I mean... It mostly is just like this feels big enough to be a six mana planeswalker that you're happy to have in certain decks coming down and plus twoing to go up to seven loyalty and then letting you cast like a two mana removal spell on two creatures is like a pretty gnarly. It is annoying that you have to have something in the tank for that to do it. But if you don't have anything in the tank, she at least comes down and like probably kills two things with her minus X and maybe doesn't survive. But if you ever untap with this, like, this is a really wild amount of card advantage you can get out of this Planeswalker. She does find something for the tank. Yeah, she does. There's, like, a category of Planeswalkers to me that's, like, this is my box of Planeswalkers that I like, 
if I could cheat them into play. Uh, it's like Nicol Bolas, Planeswalker, and all the expensive ones in Ugin's. And I think this one would be good in that sure. box. Uh, but I'm not interested in it like any other way. You're trying to play some Urza Assembles the Titans in Standard? Ooh, if I can do that, I'd that be pretty really dumb, bad. I don't know if I'm going to be no. able to. I've, I've had it cast <laughs> against me, and it's deeply unimpressive. The templating of this, whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, and then this ability triggers only once each turn, feels... It, it's really frustrating to me as a writer. I understand why they had to do it that way, but it like lets you down at the end. Yeah, like why? Why is up. it a whenever? <laughs> like, well, couldn't it be whenever you cast your first answer spell? I guess then it would it wouldn't count if you like spell Chandra spell. Oh yeah, so that lets you ritual her out and then still copy something, I guess. Yeah. Or if you want to sequence your spell, your copy spell mm-hmm. differently. Yeah. Well, no, it doesn't work that way either. Okay, never mind. I mean, to me, it just feels like one of those standard Planeswalkers that, like, when it does get cast and you don't have the immediate answer to it, it's like, oh, well, I mean, I'm never recovering from this. So that's kind of the the position that it takes if it has any any place. Speaking of Omnath, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so a little, little out of order sequencing here, but that's no longer penalized under the tournament floor rules, really. So I didn't know her. Her podcast was conducted under the spikiest podcast. <laughs> there is a judge on the call with us right now. That explains all the warnings I've been getting. <laughs> yeah, keep us in line. Yeah, so a little out of order, but yeah, did not talk about the Omnath to Light deck. Nick talked about this on the show last week on the preview episode. His team performed quite well with it. Sixty percent, I think, win rate. It's like sixty-one percent. Yeah, sixty-one percent. I mean, nineteen wins out of thirty-one matches. So not a huge sample size, but the deck certainly performed when it was given opportunity to. I also played it this weekend at my RCQ, lost in the semis, and was impressed by what it was doing. A big part of it was that just like Elish Norn beat people, and nobody was ready for Elish Norn yet. So I think I foresee <laughs> that card having some further impact. In the format, I played against Angels with it and like just realized that I had five copies of Elishnorn in my deck and it turned off every single card in my opponent's deck. And so that matchup was not difficult and they had no way of killing it. So as long as people are not ready. Yeah, it seems like it might be a shieldred situation where everyone sort of dismisses the card as, as too expensive, doesn't do anything, the turn it comes down. And then all of a sudden, it's actually like extremely good. And I think the part of that is because it does sort of do something the turn it comes down by like shutting off people's ETBs on their next turn. Yeah. I mean, I do think the place where it is really impressive in play is modern, just because it's so unkillable. Oh, and yeah. So the elementals are the best cards in the format and it turns all of them off. But of course, there's also five mana in modern, so that limits the decks that it can go into but i was really impressed by it just like all day in the deck and and the deck itself i think was very strong uh any time i had a hand that i could play the mana dork on turn two and so i i think i actually like want to run want to try like two paradise druids alongside the four sylvan caryatids because all of my good hands involved sylvan caryatid i i had a match where i was on the play against mono green and i played sylvan caryatid on turn two and I just took turn three off. I didn't didn't need that turn. I played a tap land and I put Gigantha in my hand. And then my turn four, I played Omnath, 
played Fable Passage, and cast Bring to Light for Elish Norn. Jesus and Christ. And then my opponent just, like, couldn't do anything anymore. <laughs> that, that was it. So the the deck has some really powerful stuff that it can do, and I think that the, like, Elish Norn Omnath as an endgame made up out of good cards as opposed to having to put, like, you know, win conditions in your uh, Leyline Binding deck. You know, th- this deck feels like the Leyline Binding deck that I would want to play in Pioneer if you want to be positioned that way in the metagame. Yeah, this deck is nice. I love the description of, ugh, putting icky win conditions in my deck. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you, your win conditions just need to do other stuff too. Shut down all your opponent's things or, you know. <laughs> yeah, you're not asking yeah. for much. Yeah. <laughs> The problem with winning the game is that the game is over when you're done. You don't get to keep drawing. Like that's what, I mean, that's why people play control, value, right? Yeah. Because you just are winning for much yeah. longer than most other decks. And we love playing Magic, so. Truly control players love Magic the most. They play yeah, the most I, of it. it. At my RCQ this past weekend, I played Mono White despite its results. And uh, 3-0 double drew into Swiss and played a total of like 40 minutes of Magic in the Swiss. <laughs> <laughs> See that that is not dedication. To yeah, the exactly. I like had like so much time between <laughs> rounds. I went and got tacos. I actually a torta specifically, but I had tacos. Well, no, I had a bowl. But wow, so you and I both just lied better. about it. <laughs> yeah, I, I can't believe I just ran the same play. We went to a taco place, but yeah. yes, I also didn't get tacos. But I made up for it. I got tacos yesterday. So nice, Lee. What did you have instead of tacos? on saturday or something what on saturday what did i even have on saturday i was watching the pro tour so i actually got into yeah so you got tacos i mean indians uh- <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'm sorry i should have lied about it's that. really weird when you go to the taco place and then just like order butter chicken and yeah. naan yeah I, I i actually got a burrito and by that i mean uh, okay. <laughs> no i don't i don't have anything else in particular i don't know what else we want to do i feel satisfied i think we've we've packed this episode with nearly as much jesse lore as we can contain within just one week yeah yeah we don't want to break anybody all right i have one more piece of jesse lore yes (laughs) i registered mono blue curious obsession in a modern scg classic one time and that's the origin (laughs) of my fairy vandal experience (laughs) (laughs) oh this is a modern modern fairy like i i really liked the standard deck and i wanted to try it in modern (laughs) i mean all right we can't really be held responsible for what we do in classics, right? Yeah, that's true. No, absolutely. What not. I register for a classic is between me and God. <laughs> I also <laughs> showed up late to round one and got a round one game loss, and then won game two against blue white control. And then game three, I I had a what is the disrupting shoal in my hand, and so I was ready for path to exile, and then they revealed terminus, and I cried. Anyway, that's the end of that story. <laughs> yeah, I think that's it for us. Jesse, thank you so much for stopping by. It is always a joy, and I don't think we've ever gotten this many, this much Jesse lore into one episode. So I hope that people appreciate. It's gonna be hard yeah. to top that we're doing <laughs> here. Yeah, fast and loose this time around. Yeah, I mean, I guess we could have had a really tight PT breakdown show, but I don't know if people listen to but us for that. But we're a little silly people, so you know. We had some, we had some, some good stuff in there. I think. I think so. We, we talked about everything that I wanted to talk about with the PT, so I think we're good. Nice. Everybody, thank you so much for listening. 
Have a great week. Bye. Bye.